for tuning in, and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these half-hour segments, I'll bring you the latest advances in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. And before we dive into my guest today, I want to take a moment to let everyone know that we'll be broadcasting the This Just In radio show again live from the HIMSS annual conference. The HIMSS conference this year will be in Orlando, Florida, starting on February 20th with 35,000 of your closest industry friends. We already have another great slate of CEO, CIO, leading care providers, industry thought leaders, and certainly policymakers joining the show again. Some familiar faces, but many new as well. Uh, more to come from the HIMSS media team in the coming weeks, but we'll do our same two-day format and broadcast live from the HIMSS show floor on February 20th and 21st. We even have a special stage built to resemble the ESPN College Game Day look and feel. Hopefully everyone is registering for the HIMSS 17 in Orlando, and we'll see you there. It's guaranteed to be another great, fun, informative time. For this episode, though, my 84th episode, we're going to speak to a good, longtime friend, Steve Wiseman. Steve is an attorney by trade, focusing on estate planning, probate, and identity theft. Steve is also a professor, editor, and a very accomplished writer. Welcome to the show, Steve. It's always good to talk with you. Thank you, my friend. And also, I think that I actually may have, uh, you're also a, uh, a radio personality, and I think I might have got my radio chops from you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I think you developed everything. I think the moment you were born, you came out with multiple chops. But yeah, I've been involved with... Uh, talk radio for, uh, oh my gosh, since uh, the 1980s, and I'm also the, the editor of Talkers, uh, legal editor of Talkers Magazine, which is the uh, main trade journal for uh, talk television and radio. That's cool. I didn't even know that. Um, we've actually, uh, certainly for my audience, and as you probably can tell, we've known each other for many decades, and I believe, I was trying to think of this before we came live here on the air, and I think it's about... I was 12 years old when I may have first met you, and maybe even earlier because you're friends with my family. Um, I think even before I may have realized it. So, yeah, we go way back. <laughs> we certainly do. So, for my audience, um, tell us a little bit more about your background and uh, you know, where you grew up and, and items like that. Well, I'm a, a Massachusetts born and bred, and I went uh, up and down the Mass Turnpike for uh, for college. I went to the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, and then went back east, and back east from there is to uh, Boston College for law school. And then I've uh, practiced law in, in Massachusetts uh, since the 1970s, also been involved a lot in talk radio and in uh, also talk television, in addition to my law practice, about 12 books, and have evolved into uh, an expert in the uh, area of cybersecurity, scams, and identity theft. I have a, a blog, scamicide.com, where every day I provide updated information on the latest uh, things that are going on in cybersecurity, scams, and identity theft. And, you know, frankly, Boy, the, with the Internet of Things and our interconnectedness, it's never been a it's, – it's going back, I guess, to Dickens. It's the best of times and the worst of times, and, uh, <laughs> like being involved. Oh, that's terrific. Um, that's spot on. So, well, first of all, I guess, how did, you, how did you kind of find your career path? I think I get that question a lot. You, you're an educator. You know, you're a professor at college, and 
so you, um, you know, you probably give your story, uh, you know, and, and try to coach people up and help people find their path. But how did you, I mean, because you do have a very diverse background. So how did you find your path and your way through all of that? And how did it come to fruition? You know, I don't know if I did. You know, they say uh, all who wander are not lost. And uh, I'm telling my students, I guess one of the, there are a couple of interesting things I tell my students. And then one of them, well, hopefully more than that, but one of them is I said the answer to every question is it's about the money. And certainly that is a factor. And then at the last class of every semester, I tell them, don't make a decision on your career path because of the money. You follow your passion and the money will come. And uh, that's where, you know, I, I've followed various curiosities and, uh, again, have been uh, involved in different areas of the, of the law, did trial law for, uh, for a while. Um, I'm interested in writing, knocked out about 12 books. Um, yeah. I've done, you know, talk radio for since the 1980s. And, uh, you know, the, the, the French philosopher Albert Camus was once saying that uh, he was in a constant state of becoming. So uh, I, <laughs> I think that's kind of me is just uh, continue as we all do. You know, you evolve as long as you're vertical. <laughs> Very well said. So I love uh, you're certainly one of a kind, but there's a lot of people that think like you in the Amherst and the Pioneer Valley, part <laughs> Massachusetts. Yeah. And, but I'm so proud to be from that area because of the diversity and because of just the um, the self-realization and of, of of just the way we live and um, and how we enjoy life. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, talking a little bit about. You know, your, your, I guess your background, tell, you had a, an office, I'm trying to wrap my brain, you had an office where the Boston Strangler was, was he convicted there? <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not with the, uh, not with the Strangler, but uh, I've had, uh, I was uh, involved with a, a criminal uh, law firm uh, in Boston, uh, Crane, Inker, and O'Tiri is one of my first, uh, my first works, and we, uh, we did uh, we represented a uh, a lot of uh, criminals. We were uh, we rep- actually it was very interesting. Justin, this law firm had two main sources of clients, and one was we had one of the most prominent divorce lawyers uh, in town, Monroe Inker, and one of the top uh, criminal lawyers. So we defended organized crime and big scale divorces. And what you would see is we would see divorces. We would see good people at their absolute worst. And then with yeah. the criminals, we would see bad people at their absolute best. Absolute best. Yeah. I mean, later on, I went, I, I taught in the, uh, the state prison system as well uh, for many, many years, which provided me with a, uh, an education also. Yeah. No, I, I thought, no, that's fascinating. I, I thought I was in your office one day and I think your office had like where the, there was someone, some famous person was, either prosecuted or, or um, uh, in that space. But I was, uh, I was just trying to drive. This is like 25 years ago. So now it was yeah. uh, fortunate enough to intern with you. But, um, yeah. but so before we dive into the cybersecurity aspect, um, tell us about kind of a little bit of a, of a foundation background as your career as a writer in those 12 books that you've done. What if they clearly encompass? You know, it's, I'm glad you asked about it because writing was always one of my passions and uh, it was something, you know, even as a, a high school kid, I was uh, always fascinated 
by writing. Uh, I had, like you do, a, a love of language. And, uh, you know, I had written magazine articles. Actually, I used to write a, a column in the forum section for, for Playboy for years. And I had written right. magazine articles. But, you know, we were talking uh, maybe a top of 5,000 words. The, the book always looked like something beyond what I thought I was capable of. But you always have to stretch yourself, as, as you know. And the uh, first book I did was a, a book dealing with uh, elder planning. It was a guide to elder planning, which later became a work, a, uh, an area where I not just practiced, but also taught. And from there, um, got involved my, uh, with uh, a good publisher, and I, I've written a lot of books uh, dealing with two main topics. One is, is financial planning, and a number of uh, uh, financial planning books uh, dealing with uh, planning for baby boomers, annuities, IRA planning. And then uh, I kind of drifted into cybersecurity and uh, truth about avoiding scams and uh, identity theft alert and a number of books in that area. And the, and the idea is uh, I try to explain difficult concepts in a way that is uh, entertaining and understandable to people. And so both in the area of financial planning and cybersecurity, they're important areas for people that can sometimes be overwhelming. So I try and make them merely whelming, bring them down to earth. <laughs> yeah, and no, and you do a phenomenal job. I remember I, uh, a couple of your early books on an elder planning, we looked at just to make sure that um, my gram was on the best path possible. I remember calling you a few times to get your advice on some situations, and obviously you're a true expert at it. Um, so also, your, some of your TV stuff, I remember watching, um, I think it was Dr. Phil one day, and you were on yeah. it. I don't think we didn't know. Jen was just talking to have it on <laughs> the house. I'm like, what's Steve? So that was terrific. Tell us about that experience. You know, it was very funny, Justin, and funny that you, you put it in that way, because when I got a call from the Dr. Phil show, I thought a friend of mine was putting me on. And, uh, you know, they, they talked to me, and this was around the time of Bernie Madoff, and they wanted to know some uh, thoughts about uh, scams, and then, you know, would I be willing to uh, come out within a week? You know, it's like, okay, can you come out uh, next week? And it was, uh, sure. And then I didn't hear from them for about three or four days, and I was saying to my wife, Carol, I said, you know, I think somebody was putting me on. And then the <laughs> very next day, they're contacting me, flying me out to uh, to California. Uh, met Dr. Phil. It was very nice, and it was uh, it, it was interesting too because Kara, my wife said, "No, don't get your hopes up. You're probably going to be sitting in the audience. He'll throw a question to you, and uh, that'll be it." And instead, he uh, had me up there uh, sitting with him, and they yeah, they brought in about three different types of scam victims, and uh, uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. No, well, she recorded it, and we had that recording, I think, saved in our DVR until DirecTV took that DVR away to upgrade it. <laughs> we had it, like, for ah. years. <laughs> That's funny. It was just to turn on the TV, and there you are. It was uh, it was great. And it, what, was it one of your first uh, big TV spots on scams and such and so forth, or did you do ones before that? You know, I had done local uh, television in uh, in the Boston area and out in Springfield, mm -hmm. Massachusetts, but never anything on a national level like that. And since that time, 
Uh, I've done uh, through Skype. I've done Sky News uh, in England. I've done uh, the CBS Morning Show, ABC uh, World News, uh, a number of national things. And I just got a call uh, setting something up with Russian television, which uh, to do by Skype. And that'll be something, uh, there's a, apparently there's an English speaking news station, uh, on Russian TV. So I'm kind of looking forward to that, uh, and figure out how I'm going to talk about hacking with, uh, Russians. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. That could be a heated debate there. Um, yeah. is, is it Russia times? I've seen Russia times over yeah. here. They've been exploding. So yeah. Yep. That's great. And um, from the audience, for those that may have joined a little late, my guest today is cybersecurity expert and just all-around great guy, Stephen J.J. Wiseman. That's Stephen James Jerome Wiseman. There you go. <laughs> I remember that from my childhood. Um, so let's dive into healthcare because most, I think, 90% of my listeners are really from the, uh, the healthcare space. So, uh, and obviously, you know, cybercrime and identity theft and um, you know, data protection key and top of mind in healthcare, but why is the, you know, healthcare industry so ripe for, for hacking and who's doing it? Well, it's interesting who's doing it. First of all, it's ripe because it's like the, uh, the bank robber. Why did he rob banks? Cause that's where the money is. And money is, uh, yeah. you've got the, the perfect storm when it comes to being a target, uh, for hacking, uh, when it comes to the healthcare industry, because you've got a, a very highly technologically sophisticated business that has a lot of personal information and it's accessed from various places. So the doctors have to be able to access the hospital and, and other providers. Mm -hmm. So you also have, there's a part of the uh, internet called the dark web. And this is yeah. where the bad guys who have stolen all of the credit cards and other information go to sell it to other bad guys. Well, when you look on the dark web, the most valuable information is healthcare insurance information. And so that's one of the uh, reasons that you'll get hackers. They will steal uh, health insurance info, sell that to people to be able to use it. That creates all kinds of problems, potentially even deadly problems, because you can have the victim of this healthcare identity theft. Their medical records can get interspersed with that of the identity thief, and HIPAA regulations make it all but impossible to get the bad guy stuff off of there. So that's something. And then it's also interesting that the Chinese hackers and uh, government-sponsored hackers, they are big fans of big data. And uh, they will get as much information as they can. And some, in some instances, Chinese hackers have even tried to get medical information that may be embarrassing to particular uh, people within power structures, companies, and government and use that for uh, extortion. So there are people that will hack into it. And there's also, of course, ransomware, as we saw with the Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a uh, it's an important industry. It's highly uh, sophisticated and highly digital, and uh, therefore it's highly targeted by the uh, the hackers. So no, that's fascinating. So are the top sponsors? I mean, and I don't want to you know call anybody out that shouldn't be called out. But is it China? Is it Russia? Is it our own U.S. citizens? Is it another country? What are the, who are the sponsors? In your opinion, or your yes. Opinion. The answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is all of them. And 
Here's, here's an interesting thing, Jeff. And yeah, um, when it comes to the medical identity theft and the vulnerability there, it's probably the one place the Russians aren't going. The Chinese definitely are. But you'll get organized crime, disorganized crime. You'll have the, uh, the kid down the, the street. You'll have the computer expert. Interpol once uh, said not too long ago there are only about 100 really uh, cyber criminal geniuses who create this great, these great zero defect uh, malware out there that's used in ransomware and other attacks. But what they do is they put it up on the dark web and sell it to less sophisticated criminals. And you should see the websites upon which they sell it, Justin. It's amazing because their business model is highly sophisticated. They will give uh, discounts for bulk purchases. They provide tech support. I mean, it's like any other business, except it's totally illegitimate. And so that's part of the problem is you don't have to be a criminal genius to go after a Hollywood Presbyterian hospital or a Sony or the Office of Personnel Management. All you need to do is buy the uh, the software. And then the biggest problem facing America today in cybersecurity, according to the Secretary of Homeland Security, is spear phishing because all of this malware has to get downloaded. And the way it's downloaded is with emails to employees that lure them into clicking on links or downloading attachments that bring forth the malware. And often it's what we call zero days, which means there is no security software yet that will protect you from that. So uh, it's, uh, it's quite a business. Wow. So what steps should hospitals and practices and others be taking to protect their security? Yeah, you know, here's the thing. Um, one, there are a lot of basic steps. And one of the things is uh, places are more and more uh, vulnerable in their mobile devices. Now, you know, you say you got to be a rocket scientist uh, to be at NASA. NASA had a laptop with totally unencrypted information. It was stolen and they lost a lot of sensitive data. Then it happened again just a couple of years later, and it's the old fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. NASA should know better. So you need, you need protocols in place. You need the uh, security software. Uh, you need to train your employees about, uh, the, about cybersecurity and spear phishing. And, you know, along with the security software, there's a real, when it comes to ransomware, which is hit uh, government institutions, it hits hospitals, it hits businesses. There are a couple of easy solutions. And one is, of course, backing up everything. Back up your data. So even if it gets through, uh, you're going to be okay. But there's another thing that isn't used enough, and it's called whitelisting software. Blacklisting, we know. It prevents certain programs from being downloaded. But when the bad guys develop the new stuff, they can get that in because it's not on the blacklisting. Whitelisting software terribly sophisticated, but what it will do is it will not allow anything to be downloaded unless it is already pre-approved. So what you want to do is do things like, along with training your uh, your personnel, and limit the access. Everybody shouldn't have access to everything because sometimes these are insider hacks, but security software and particularly whitelisting software. Now, thank you. That's fascinating. Excellent. Tell us about um, ransomware. You brought this up uh, sometimes, and I've seen a little bit on the news, but why is this a threat? 
It's it's huge. It's uh, it's probably the biggest malware out there now, and there are companies that are falling prey to this. There are uh, accounting firms. Uh, there are law firms. Uh, there have been police departments that have been hit. And what it is, it's a specific type of malware. Again, someone clicks on a link and downloads this particular uh, malware that encrypts all of your data, you can't read it, you can't access it. And generally they'll say, you pay us a Bitcoin uh, ransom within 48 hours or we'll destroy all of your stuff. Uh, just this past week, a uh, college in uh, California paid the ransom. Some have paid the ransom, others have not, and actually had uh, data destroyed. So. The key thing here is you want to, in small businesses and bigger businesses, you want to put in uh, whitelisting. You want to back up your data and back it up in a couple of ways. You want maybe portable, uh, you know, portable hardware to uh, to have it stored in, as well as storing it in the cloud. And here's one of the sad parts, Justin. This is an evolving type of malware. It's no, not just one type of ransomware. And there are companies that are falling prey to ransomware for which we already have security software because they're not updating their security software. So always keep your security software up to date. Mm -hmm. Use whitelisting mm -hmm. and uh, make sure that you're training your uh, your employees. My motto is, trust me, you can't trust anyone. Never download or <laughs> click on a link until you've confirmed. No, that's, uh, that's terrific. And that's just great advice all the way around. I know that I'm constantly um, getting on my lovely wife. She's amazing. But she does not like to do updates. She will not yeah. update her phone. She will not update her computer. She will not update her iPad. She just, I, I don't know. I'm like, and I'm, I'm the exact opposite. The moment the update's available, I'm the yeah. I'm in IT, and I, I just know the vulnerabilities of, of all of our devices, and so just keep it updated. God, you couldn't so be more actually, right. I, um, I was thinking when you're talking there about do they actually erase data? So you're telling me they really do. It's not just a threat, because I would think part of it could just be kind of extortion, but it's truly really a threat. Are you that sophisticated to truly get in there and disrupt and delete uh, my data? And you're saying, yes, they really can do that, and they do do that. They do, but it's it's funny you mentioned that, Justin, because there are some really unsophisticated, lazy cyber thieves who are out there <laughs> telling people, threatening, yeah. we will do this, but they really don't even have the ransomware, and they don't they don't have the capabilities of locking it up. But they are the minority. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time, what we've seen is, and we've actually seen some companies go out of business. Uh, because all of their their data gets destroyed. And yeah, the capability is there. The original kind of malware wasn't as, for ransomware, wasn't as sophisticated. Uh, sometimes you could get it, uh, you, get, you could retrieve it. But the stuff out today, uh, yeah. a lot of it done by uh, Russian and uh, Eastern European hackers uh, is yeah. so, so good. You've got to be backed up. Yeah, it's real. So in the closing couple minutes we have, we have about two minutes more, what any legislation or regulation that you're tracking, certainly we have a change in administration. My shows, actually the last three shows I've done have been focused heavily on policy and what we can expect out of the new administration, but anything that you're tracking? Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, and I don't know if it's an offshoot of the fact uh, that uh, President Trump has kind of poo-pooed what's happened with uh, Russian hackers, although more recently he's, uh, he has uh, 
responded to that. But yeah. Congress is picking up uh, the uh, the they're picking up the lance here because what yep. happened is there was a real bipartisan. When could we ever hear that? A bipartisan right. bill that was just introduced this week that would create a select committee on cybersecurity to be a yeah. central overseeing agency from multiple federal agencies. Uh, you know, Congress. I, I'm, I feel okay. I mean, I'm not like Mark Twain yeah. said, the opposite of progress was Congress, but Congress is really <laughs> starting to act here. Yeah. No, I uh, I agree. We don't have much bipartisan. I was fortunate enough to, to work on a bill back in 2015 called the Medicare Access and Chip Reauthorization Act of 2015, but it was a bipartisan bill, bicameral, House, Senate, Republican, Democrat. Uh, they moved it through Congress to really update and modernize our health care system, but that was the last that was the last bipartisan bill passed through Congress. It sounds like you're mentioning now the second one, at least in, uh, in the last three years, has gone through Congress. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. good, because we desperately need it. So, that's for sure. Uh, in, yeah, in closing, I always ask this question of my guests. And to be honest, it's now become its own segment. My producers have created uh, their own discussion <laughs> radio show segment on this one piece. But um, it, it's, it's inspiring. But what is your favorite play to get or be inspired? You know, it, it that's just a wonderful question. There's so much noise that you sometimes don't hear just your own brain doing its workings. And uh, quite candidly, my best thinking is and inspiration comes when I'm not trying. And it's early, early morning walks yeah. that I take with my wife and my dog. We never see another person. We're out in nature. And you would... Actually, I was going to say you'd be amazed. You wouldn't. I know you understand. Your mind will both clear and get flooded with insights. And what is the name of your dog? Remington. Remington von Seelenball. <laughs> I know. I love it. And um, we are friends, obviously, in life and on Facebook. And uh, you have one of the most beautiful dogs on the planet. So I... Uh, I'm glad that you were able to mention his name because he's a beautiful dog. <laughs> he is. I'm a little biased, but he is. Awesome. Well, Steve, it was great to have you on the show, my friend, and I truly appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. You know, Justin, you do such important work in so many areas. Uh, it's, it's a privilege to know you, and I smile whenever I think of uh, how you've grown. Yeah, you're, you're a great guy. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. And thank you to everyone for listening and joining us today. Please tune in weekdays at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. And as always, you can track me on Twitter at HHE Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustin so we can respond to your comments from the show. In addition, all of my content will be posted on my website at justinbarnes.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a terrific week, and hopefully we'll see you all in Orlando. Stop by the show. Thanks again, Steve. <laughs>